Hello, good morning and good evening. It's so nice to see everyone here today. And welcome to Peace On, your source for inspiring conversations and information from thought leaders across the spectrum on topics related to the strategies of building peace, fostering nonviolence, and creating a world that thrives, shifting our understanding toward empathy, compassion, and connection. My name is Terry Mason. I'm on the board of the Peace Alliance, and I'm joined today to facilitate by Liz Gannon Graydon, who is our board chair. Yelena Popovich is usually with us, but she's not able to be with us today. She is leading a mindfulness um, workshop with preschoolers at, as we speak. So we're we're glad that she's doing what she's doing, but we're missing her today. But we'll move on without her and be just fine. I'm also like to welcome Carly Everhart, our special guest today. Carly is a terrific, wonderful woman, and she has a wonderful, rich story to share, and I'm excited to have her join us. Carly, come off mute and say good morning, good evening, hello. Good morning, hello. I'm so excited to be here with all of you, and I love the fact that um, your colleague is, is with preschoolers today, and I'm inviting all of us to bring that fun energy into, into the day, the, that young energy. <laughs> Oh, that's lovely. Thank you. Well, you do have a wonderful story to tell, and I'm eager to get started. But before we do, I'd like to invite Liz to lead us in a meditation just to bring us all in together. Liz? Hi, well, welcome, everyone. And I'm so happy to be there with you. And we are all thinking of beautiful Yelena working with the mindfulness of, of preschoolers. We're going to hear a story today and have a discussion that talks a lot about choice and the power of choice. So as we start our meditation, I invite you in this moment to choose a posture that your body would really appreciate. In this moment, you can choose whether you'd like your eyes open or closed in this moment. In this moment, choose what you would like to do with your feet. For me, I like them folded up under me, which is how they are right now, but you can choose how you would like your feet to be positioned in this moment. In this moment, choose a rhythm for your breath. Do you feel like you need a slow, deep belly breath? Do you want a gentle breath? a deep breath. Just take this moment to intentionally connect with your breath and choose how you want to engage with your breath in this moment. In this moment, choose what you'd like to be doing with your hands. Mine are sitting in my lap right now. Open up.
in this moment, choose a part of your body that you would like to give extra love and attention to. Whether because you might be experiencing some form of discomfort or concern, or because you're so very thankful for your body that supports and serves you every minute of every day. In this moment, Carly invited us to bring in that beautiful, fun preschool energy to the call. And in this moment, I invite you to choose an additional energy or intention you would also like to bring into the call. And in this moment, I invite you to return to the room. And then I invite you to look at Carly and bring our full attention to Carly. And in this moment, I invite you to welcome Carly into our Hope Story Circle to share her story today. Welcome, Carly. Thank you, Liz, and thanks for that beautiful meditation. So I wanted to start my story with a quote from Maya Angelou, and she says, you may not control all the events that happen to you, but you can decide not to be reduced by them. And this quote really speaks to me and my own transformation around how I viewed myself, which is what I'm here to share with you today. So my life was very much a series of events for a long time that I felt were happening to me. I was born to a strong mother. My father, not that he wasn't strong, but he was battling his own demons. He was a heroin addict in and out of prison. Um, and while he was never present in my life, the fact that he wasn't there left a bigger impact than, than him actually being there. And when I learned of all of this, I made the addiction mean that I wasn't enough, that if I was smarter, prettier, had more to offer, that he would have gotten sober and had been in my life. And so I truly felt from the day that I was born that I simply wasn't enough. And so fast forward to three years old, the father figure in my life was an alcoholic. Him and I were driving in the car together one day uh, and he told me we were going to the park, but we were just gonna stop by home for a quick second. So when we got to the house, he told me to wait in the car, he's gonna run upstairs and he'd be right back and we'd continue on to the park. The problem is he never came back. So here I was, three years old, alone, scared, and confused. Neighbors would walk up one by one, um, you know, trying to help get me out of the car. And I was a little like stranger danger at three years old. You know, I'm fine, I'm fine. My daddy's coming back. Um, and I wanted to wait it out because I still thought we were going to the park. I finally felt comfortable enough to open the door to a close neighbor and friend and found out that my father um, 
had gone upstairs, got drunk, passed out, and forgot about me in the car. So here I was, another event that could prove that I wasn't enough, because after all, if I wasn't enough, if I were valuable, I wouldn't have been forgotten. And so from then on, I was unconsciously, at the time it was unconscious, but I went on this fact-finding mission to prove that I wasn't enough. And so Brene Brown says, stop looking for evidence that you're not enough. You will always find it because you've made that your goal. <laughs> and so that became my goal. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if any of you study the Enneagram, but I'm a three on the Enneagram, the achiever. And so <laughs> I went above and beyond collecting evidence that I wasn't enough. Uh, at four years old, my mom married my now father and him and my mother raised me and I had a really beautiful life full of opportunity and possibility. He had a daughter that was six months younger than I was. So automatically I gained a sister, which seemed really cool. And sometimes it was, but it proved to me, um, proved for me to be another way to gather evidence that I wasn't enough. So the dynamic I perceived us to be in was whoever needed more attention got more attention. And so she got most of the attention growing up. Um, and at this point in my life, I developed the coping mechanism of being the good girl. I wanted to do everything right to cover up the fact that inside I didn't feel valued. So I got good grades. I volunteered. I was on prom court in high school. I had a million friends, was the captain of my volleyball team. I entered into beauty pageants. Um, anything I could do to prove to the world that I was valuable, I did it. And I mostly excelled at it. Um, in eighth grade, I, I entered into a pageant and I was so proud of myself because I had gone door to door. I had raised all the money to compete. I was in this beautiful gown and I loved being on stage. I really came alive during the pageant and I ended up placing in the event, which made me eligible to compete in Miss Teen USA that year. Um, and when my father found out, he said I couldn't go because my sister wasn't in the pageant. So here I was again collecting evidence that I wasn't enough. <clears throat> that same year, I was nominated to play soccer, to play all-star soccer for our soccer team. Um, and my father told the coach I wasn't able to join the team unless my sister was also on the all-star team. So again, <laughs> more evidence collecting. <laughs> um, I felt crushed and I could go on and on about ways I tried to prove my worth. But ultimately, it had me feeling like I didn't matter. I was collecting evidence and I became pretty dang good at it. Remember, I'm an achiever. <laughs> so um, by the time I was in my mid-20s, everyone on the outside would say my life was pretty perfect because I had unconsciously built this system that the more I achieved, the more valuable I could prove to the world that I was. But on the inside, I had felt really terrible about myself. Um, I remember one, one story uh, in college, throughout high school and college, I had developed some low-key eating disorders. And so uh, one of my girlfriends and I decided to go to Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> and at the end of the meeting, they didn't know what to do with me because <laughs> I was 
too thin to connect with the uh, or too thin to connect with the overeaters and too big to connect <laughs> with the uh, people suffering from anorexia and bulimia. And so it was just funny. It was just this, you know, in, in those types of meetings, it's like you go to belong. And it's even in that space that I was like, wait, I'm not even good enough to be here. Um, and so when I was 26 years old, I had sort of a wake up call that had me enroll at the University of Santa Monica to get my degree and um, to get my master's degree in spiritual psychology. I spent three intense years studying there. Um, and the work I primarily did was directly tied to the Maya Angelou quote. It was about taking life experiences and forgiving myself for the misidentifications, the judgments and misbeliefs that I had created throughout my life. It was a real chop wood, carry water type of experience. Um, and over those three years, I really exerted my power of choice. I started to see that my life wasn't happening to me, it was happening for me. That in fact, I got to choose my own interpretation of what was happening to me in my life. And I could decide not to be reduced by these experiences. Um, it was at the University of Santa Monica that I learned about the Freedom to Choose Project, whose mission is to transform the lives of individuals impacted by incarceration through compassionate experiential education. And so I began volunteering with them because I felt like if I worked with people inside prison, then perhaps it would give me insight about my birth father. I had done a lot of work in school at this time to let go of these beliefs that I wasn't enough, but I still had a tinge of the not enoughness feeling like this was um, something I came into the world that I was born with. So I was still on a quest to kind of um, let go of that belief for the last time. Um, and so my father who had spent a good portion of his 50 something years in and out of prison, I felt like in prison, I could feel more connected to this, um, to, to him and to myself. I felt like I could somehow better understand my lineage and myself inside the prison. Um, and at the very least, I could heal the wound once and for all of not being good enough um, because my birth father never got sober when I was born. And so it was just a few years ago that I was given the opportunity to go to Sadif um, Men's Prison up north. It's the substance abuse treatment facility. And so I went with my intent and my intention in going was really to heal my relationship with my father. Um, and the way that the experiential learning happens through freedom to choose is what is in what we call a trio. So we have these large group workshops and everyone comes into the gym <clears throat> and we break up into trios, which is where there's a client, a facilitator and a neutral observer. The client is the one sharing. The facilitator is typically asking questions from a provided prompt and confirming understanding of the client's story. And then the neutral observer is silently holding a loving space. And so uh, I started in the client chair, typically the volunteers start in the client chair. And I was sitting across from an inmate, we call them participants, um, who might as well have been my birth father. He was a lifer, a former addict, tattoos all over his arms and legs. 
And as we sat in trio, I began telling him my story, similar to what I've shared with you, but I really focused on my birth father um, and how I felt like I wasn't enough because he didn't get sober. And this man looked at me and he said, what if you were so important that just knowing you exist has kept him alive just one more day? And in my 30 something years at the time, I had never considered that a possibility. And in that moment, it was just like everything fell away. And I gave myself permission to acknowledge how amazing I was, how amazing I am, <clears throat> how my birth father's experience has absolutely nothing to do with my worth and value, um, that I was able to rise above my experience and not be reduced by it. And so I sat there for the first time inside that prison gymnasium, feeling truly free for one of the first times in my whole life. Um, I continue to do work inside prisons because what I've noticed in my life is a few things. That one, regardless of what our background is or where we live, we're so much more similar than we are different. At the end of the day, we want to love and be loved, and that's it. <laughs> and inside prison, we're just connecting with another human being that's worthy of love just as much as I am and just as much as you are. Um, and two, I've met quite a few people who are in more of a prison outside of those prison walls than the people who are inside the prison walls. And so I'm just really inspired being around um, the participants when we go into the prisons to see how they show up and they've transformed their life and how that they, they actually can sit there and, and be more free than some of my friends outside. Um, Victor Frankl says in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, that everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude. And so that's really the greatest gift we all have in this life. We get to choose what we want to make of our life and our experiences. Um, and so that's how I live my life today. And that's the invitation I'm offering to all of you is that regardless of what you may have gone through, you have the power to choose. You can choose to be reduced by the experiences in your life, or you can choose to rise above it and use everything in 